Hello, I'm Anna Delaney with Information Security Media Group. Supply chain risk management is on every security leader's mind. So what are some strategies to build a more resilient supply chain? Well, with us to explore this question and share some insights from his own experience is Matt Marciniak, Information Security Manager for financial service organization, Quantile. Very good to see you, Matt. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Anna. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. So Matt, every CEO surely wants to know the answer to this question. Do we know how secure our supply chain is? So I'll put it to you. Do you know how secure your supply chain is and how do you go about gauging this? I think in theory, it is very manageable task. However, in practice, it's not so simple, right? There are different ways, you know, obviously we can send the due diligence questionnaires to the vendors, you know, or we can ask them to provide the SOC 2 reports and so on and so on. However, in the end of the day, we have to trust either the report, the responder to those questionnaires, or the auditor, right? Obviously, we have to try to a certain extent with the information contained within those reports, right? You know, clearly, it is not feasible uh, for us to go on site to every vendor and physically audit them, see how they do, uh, you know, and see that they're working practices. But supply chain risk is one of the risks, right? We should not be managing that in silo. So in my view, in order to be an effective, it needs to be very much part of, you know, enterprise-wide risk management framework. So, for example, if it's a bank, it's an online banking, right? You don't want to just know, okay, those uh, suppliers, I can't do that part of the risk. In my view, we should be presenting the business with a total view of a risk, right, to the given product or a service, and then also include the categories. So, for example, cyber risk is 20% of that risk. Supply chain risk is, for example, 15% of that risk. So, but at the end of the day, it should be the total risk that we are presenting as the value. And this is obviously not a new topic, and yet cyber criminals are increasingly leveraging the software supply chain to extort ransoms and, and expose vulnerabilities. I'm wondering, after high-profile incidents such as Kaseya and SolarWinds, have you adapted your own approach to supply chain security? And if so, how? Absolutely. You know, we, we can never uh, stand still, right? We need to always uh, continue improve, right? But I think, uh, you know, we are in a good place uh, right now. And with different frameworks, such as the NIST cybersecurity framework, we can really improve on, on the different categories, right? I mean, you might think, okay, respond and recover. You know, you need to have a good backups. Uh, you, you need to test your incident procedure and so on and so on. I agree. That's super, super, super important. However, we cannot forget the identify part, right? Because if we don't know what we have, how can we protect it? How can we detect it? And most importantly, how can we re respond and recover to those incidents? So we need to focus on all of the categories. Respond and recover are important, but more importantly, the identified part is, is the crucial one right now. And what tools and processes do you employ to monitor and manage your vendors and the services they provide for your organization? We are quite lucky because our employee base is less than 100 people, right? So we are very agile in, in the nature. So that is the big benefit, you know, working for fintech organizations, right? So I, I strongly believe before we even talk about any sort of tooling to manage the vendors, we need to have a procedure, process, a policy, right? So what we have actually done is develop a brand new third-party risk management framework, right? That has been discussed with various stakeholders, whether it's finance, whether it's our risk colleagues, and uh, before we, you know, seek the senior stakeholder sign-up, right? The sponsorship of that. But we're quite lucky that we put the solution on top of Jira in our organization. And we took a very, very much different approach to other organizations because, you know, if you look at the different vendors, they send you some of those, uh, questionnaires, 200 questions, maybe 300 questions, right? 
we have uh, stripped that down to maybe 50 questions that are very important to us. The name of the vendor, location of the vendor, you know, whether the purpose data, whether the data falls within the scope of GDPR, you know, whether it's high resilient service and whether it has any connectivity to us, right? And with those sort of questions, when it comes to an incident, we can quickly identify what action needs to be taken, right? Obviously, if it's like a marketing business card vendor, you know, uh, if they get comp compromised or whatever, you know, we don't need to be as much worried as compared to, you know, uh, for example, if it was solar range type of vendor, right? A uh, managed service provider. So having the right fields and having the right information will definitely uh, enable us to be better shaped when it comes to funding to this type of issues going forward. Well, I think you mentioned earlier, in an ideal world, we'd, we'd want 100% visibility. That's not always possible. Where could you potentially get stuck or what challenges have come up for you in trying to attain that third party visibility? I mean, there is no silver bullet to this, to this issue, right? So like I said, you obviously have your questionnaires, you have your SOC reports. Obviously, you have different type of tools that, that can give you the third party visibility, whether it's a bit size, a security scorecard, but those are the main ones, right? However, you know, they only give you the actual, like the perimeter view of, of the third parties, right? So on the perimeter, they might be doing everything uh, as per the best practices, but once you actually go inside, it might be completely different. But right, again, you have to trust to a certain extent, right? Obviously, we have the zero trust, but you know, you have to trust your vendors to a certain extent. And then again, we have the concert agreements, right, with, with the vendors. That is quite important so that you put, you know, appropriate provisions in the contract. If something were to happen, you know, the company is identified to a certain level, right? And then we can also talk about like insurance, right? Insurance is very valuable these days as well. After all, if we do everything for the book as per the best practices and something were to happen, we have insurance, you know, to help us, right? So it's about preparedness across, you know, all the levels, right? Not just relying on one control, but having multiple controls. You touched upon this earlier. How do you ascertain or measure the impact of risk to your organization should a vendor, a third party be compromised? Yes. So we're constantly evolving, but every type of risk assessment or impact assessment needs to take consideration your business, right? the size of your workforce and, and what you do, right? Because only then you can have a proper risk figure, right? So the business context is crucial. So talk to us more about that. You mentioned the need for moving away from a siloed approach when it comes to supply chain risk management. How do you do that? Share examples. Like I said, we have a very good enterprise risk management framework, right? That is valid by a risk management team. But after all, we need to have a system that enables us to have a total risk view. Obviously, it's not easy, right? Because if you look at the whole risk management, you can only manage the risk that you know of, right? It's a constant battle, right? Because, you know, the, the supply chain changes pretty much daily, right? So we hear about new attacks daily. The internal security shape of those vendors might change quite frequently as well. So it's important that we stay agile, but we should leverage the other tools, like, like I said as well, like the, the bit set, because they constantly monitor, right? So they help us ascertain the exposure. If we have to do a questionnaire, daily questionnaire to vendors, that won't go, right? Because... Clearly, no vendor will be responding to a daily questionnaire. So having tools that look for that, you know, at the perimeter or at the actual, however you want to call it, it's, a, I would say, a win-win situation as it reduces the, the hours required, right, from a human being. And you alluded to the constantly changing threat landscape. How do you keep up with that? 
This is a quite interesting topic, right? I mean, you, you can be, you know, looking at the threats on a daily basis. For small organizations, this is a challenge because obviously we don't have a big threat management team. So we have to leverage third-party vendors that provide, you know, actionable cyber threat intelligence. We are also part of the National Cyber Security Center for Information Sharing platform that also gives us the intelligence uh, that is related to financial services sector, right? But again, that data is only as useful as our internal processes. Because if you just receive it day on daily basis and you just read it and don't do anything about it, it's probably not very useful, right? So the internal governance needs to be in place that actually supports activities on those, right? So if you see, for example, indicators of compromise, so you should probably put them in your SIM or your other detection tools. You know, you know, so something happens with that data rather than we just sit on it. So leveraging the information that we have at hand, it's a crucial element of that. What have you changed about your internal processes to help keep up with this constantly changing landscape? I think we are very lucky uh, because we have very much adopted DevSecOps approach to security. So even if you look at our developers, right, they come to us rather than we come to them, you know, and they ask us, you know, how we can protect the application better against emerging threats. So it's just very clear that our cyber awareness campaign has been very effective. How we work with the business and uh, the developers, especially when they come to us and ask us for support, right? So we have, for example, rolled out secure coding training to them uh, earlier this year that enables them to see, you know, the different attacks that can happen with misconfigured services. And it, it was just eye-opening to them, right? Obviously, they were very well aware of, of some of the risks, but they just didn't know the depth and the impact it can have to organizations. So I think the training has to be across the whole company, not just the developers, right? The business, the finance, everyone needs to be aware and play their part. Because after all, human is our last and the first uh, cyber defense. And what other elements contribute to building a resilient supply chain? You mentioned threat intel, education. Are there any other elements for you? Absolutely, right? So if we look at the supply chain, we typically look at okay, the vendors, right? But that is just only one and the pen organization is more or a big element of, of, of your chain. If you look at the, at the code that is produced today, you don't do everything on your own, right? Obviously, you use third-party libraries, whether they're open source or they're paid for, and they very much contribute to that supply chain. So we need to have a good CI/CD pipeline, right, with the software composition tools, you know, that enables us to produce software builds of materials, right? Because we need to know what sort of open source libraries are included in our code, right? So this is very much in part of the overall cyber hygiene, right? We cannot be ignoring the open source libraries as this is part of our overall third-party risk management as well. And on the topic of producing the software bill of materials, what challenges have come up for you in the process? Uh, many. Uh, one of the things was like how many different libraries uh, we use right, versus what we're thinking we are using. However, you know, we are on the right track to producing those libraries to a bare, bare minimum, right? We are very lucky that we have a strong enterprise architecture team that clearly drives, you know, the standardization of, of the software and, uh, you know, what libraries uh, we use, right? Because we don't want teams to be using hundreds of different libraries when, for example, five libraries can, can, do, the, can do the task. Obviously, it's a bit harder for developers as they have to adapt to using, you know, a single set of libraries, 
But if we have a set of standards, it really enables us to reduce the attack surface significantly, right? And also the response activity. If something was to happen to those uh, libraries, you know, we're talking, for example, about one or two libraries that we need to change rather than 100, right? So having grip on that as well, you know, and having a strong enterprise architecture team contributes to having a good security as well. Well, Matt, this has been thoroughly enjoyable. Thank you very much for sharing your very useful insight. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Anna. I've been speaking with Matt Marciniak of Quantile, and for ISMG, I'm Anna Delaney.